0: This is People Every Day. Coming up, a deep dive into cancel culture. Is the internet-driven phenomenon changing Hollywood for better or for worse? Plus, Ben Affleck goes ring shopping. Kanye West recreates his childhood home, and we debate the merits of pumpkin spice. It's August 24th. Hi everyone, welcome back to People Every Day. Today is Tuesday and I'm Zoe Ruderman sharing the mic with Janine Rubenstein. You'll hear from her shortly, but first I wanted to quickly run down some of the stories that caught my eye, or let's be real, they caught the eye of a few hundred thousand people. These are some of the most clicked headlines on people.com. First up, Ben, ben Affleck was spotted browsing jewelry at Tiffany & Co. at a mall in Los Angeles. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence, Yes, Ben Affleck went to a mall. Yes, malls still exist. And yes, the internet is losing its mind and wondering if he was looking at engagement rings for Jennifer Lopez." Okay, so here's what we know. He was, in fact, looking at rings. One of the cases he was browsing contained rings. He was there with his mom and his nine year old son, Samuel. And this Tiffany trip took place just a couple days after JLo and Ben brought their families together so, all five kids for a trip to Magic Castle in LA. We also know from a source that they're, quote, in it for the long run. I am 100% Team Benefer, so part of me is really hoping Jenny from the Block gets a new rock soon. Next, Kanye West seems to be building a replica of his childhood home inside a stadium in Chicago. You might be asking, why is he doing that? Well, he's gearing up for his third listening party for his forthcoming album, which is titled Donda After His Mother. His mom passed away in 2007 at the age of 58 following complications from plastic surgery. This album release keeps getting pushed, but it's expected to finally drop on Friday, and this represents the first album since Kim Kardashian filed for divorce from Kanye in February. And the third big story today, it is the first day of the Paralympic Games, and there hasn't even been a single event, but already there's a broken record – Get this, more out LGBTQ athletes are participating in the Paralympic Games than ever before. That's 28 athletes, 27 of them are women and one man. And that's after the Olympics broke its own record for LGBTQ athletes with 185. We love to see it. Okay, for the rest of today's show, I'm going to pass the mic back to Janine, who sits down with two experts to talk all about cancel culture. You know that super buzzy phrase you've seen crop up in almost every aspect of life. There are differing opinions on its merits, or lack thereof, and an overall confusion about what cancel culture actually is. So we'll get into both sides of the debate and explain how cancel culture got its start and where it's headed. First up, Janine sits down with Shamira Ibrahim, a culture writer whose work has been featured in the New York Times and Essence magazine. She thinks cancel culture is beneficial to society and tells Janine it's an old idea that's taken on new meaning in the past decade.
2: If you were to ask me what cancel culture is, it was something that originally started as black in group lingo, specifically black queer POCs of just expressing humorously disengagement with whatever topic was at hand, whether it be an artist, whether it be a book, a TV show. A lot of times it was used ironically. Since then, it's kind of... Merged with call out culture as well as PC culture um, to this new kind of iteration of it that's mostly started by conservatives to like express the idea that. Um, people are communally out to get the little guy, right? And Mm, if you're getting mm -hmm. affected, then you have a chance of having your life ruined by just somebody going on Twitter and saying they don't like you.
1: Something that really brought this up for us was Chrissy Teigen and her opening up about just her struggles within being canceled. She's, you know, at home and she, you know, feels alone. She doesn't know who she can talk to. And she's, you know, continued to be active on social media and share this information from inside the bubble, I guess, I guess, what do you make of her assumption that, you know, there needs to be a club, there needs to be a group for people who've been canceled so that we can have an outlet, I guess, and this turnabout of kind of it feels like bullying from the outside.
2: Right. Well, one thing I would say to Chrissy Teigen is that if she's just discovering what it's like to be actively disliked and harassed on social media, she should try being invisible black woman on social media because the death threats, the harassment, the violent emails, all of that happens to anyone on a large level. And I'm speaking to colleagues of mine who I know specifically of, regardless of whether or not you did anything actually harmful. Right. With Chrissy Teigen outside of that, what's a really interesting case for her is that if you had asked her maybe four years ago, Right. Or three years ago, maybe even two years ago, you know, she would have been firmly on the side of we have a right to moral justice. We have a right to mob assessment, all of that. But, you know, of course, she's having to come up in some rendering of all of her behavior, some of which, to be clear, large demographics of particularly black women had an issue with going well back to her comment on Convention A Wallace back, I forget what year it was, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Really, this final kind of effect was really because of a recent profile that made it clear that she had taken her behavior to a younger person on another level, right? But the amount of years that people have expressed dislike for for um, Chrissy Teigen has been quite extensive. So the fact that it took several years for her to get to a precipice of, okay, I need to step back is actually a testament to the fact that powerful people aren't really substantively affected by this, right? Then simultaneously to that, for the people who are her biggest acolytes, she could go and create a platform to interact with them, right? It's not like she doesn't have the means to create a similar space for herself.
1: What do you make of the argument that this is, you know, bad for democracy and, and canceling people doesn't actually do anything to, you know, help them and, and push forward, you know, what they need to do correctly and what they need to know and learn? What do you make of, of that idea? I think more often than not, people need to define the harms of what
2: they're actually saying happens to them. And you'll find out that the harms are not that bad, like to take a more progressive argument, I guess. People talk about Al Franken and how he was unfairly railroaded in politics, right? Now, I'm a person who doesn't like to, you know, I definitely believe women first. I don't go out of my way to give that level of credence to it. Um, I know a lot of people feel differently. That's, you know, I'm not going to engage in that level of debate around it. But what mm-hmm. I do find interesting is what do you think happens? to Al Franken. He was a rich man, right? Who became an elected official and he lost the consent of the governed, right? Because that's literally how our interaction with politics works. Yeah. So he was removed and now he's just a rich man, right? You know, <laughs> of all the things to suffer, like I think he'll be okay, right?
1: Me choosing to opt out of something does not derail his career. But when it does, I mean, when you have the situation where, you know, they aren't necessarily a celebrity, it's not a Chrissy Teigen, it's not Al Franken, and, and you have you know uh, an Amy Cooper in Central Park, you know, or, or whoever it may be that mm-hmm. does lose their job and, and 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 lose you know like all, all of these different things that that their if their social circles, all of that it does I guess hit different when well, you're but not.
2: You the Amy Cooper case, right? The charges against her were dropped, right? Yep. You know, she's not going to be banned from Central Park. That's a performative statement. No one's going to walk and see her on that. Yeah. <laughs> in Central Park was and say, you cannot be on this block, right? She had a moment where she was held accountable for poor behavior. The person involved in it expressed, you know, that she he felt like we shouldn't be totally brutal towards her with regards to crime and punishment. Her crime and punishment happened in that viral moment as it is, but a public shaming for people who she clearly expressed she did not even have any sort of comfort or allyship towards. If that's really the level of ruin that we're supposed to have empathy for, I can't say I feel that much empathy before, especially since there was active encouragement to not have her experience crime and punishment in the carceral system. Right. So, again, a rich white woman remained a rich white woman. And she got, you know, backlash from people who she clearly does not consort with regularly. Right. How much of that affected her life, except for the fact that she realized that she was unlikable for a couple of days and being unlikable is not a fun
1: feeling. You bring up a good point there that this even though these people are pretty pissed in the moment it's not moving the needle in terms of changing behaviors as much as we like basically cancel cancel culture is not doing enough of what it should be doing in terms of s- stopping people from, from having some of these actions and doing some of these things.
2: And I think that comes down to, you know, while this was never really the original intent of cancer culture, like I mentioned, is really more so to express displeasure. But yeah, about pushing the needle forward, to your point, I think it comes down to people feeling individually aggrieved over a systemic issue, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and So people feel like I was uniquely attacked because people don't like me, as opposed to this is feeding into part of a greater systemic conversation around... Who gets oppressed? Who gets aggrieved? What are you doing that contributes to a greater consistent condition? And also cancel culture, as much as, you know, whatever that means, does it translate into actual policy changes, right? Cancel culture is a starting point, not a finishing point.
1: Next up, Daniel Kovalec, author of Cancel This Book, has a different take on cancel culture, that writing someone off for one mistake does more harm than good. Stay tuned. Now we have Daniel Kovalec, who is proud to say he is anti-cancel culture. He's a labor and human rights lawyer by way of Columbia Law School, who's been on Fox News' The Ingram Angle and has written for The Post and Counterpunch. He is the author of Cancel This Book, The Progressive Case Against Cancel Culture, where he dissects the idiosyncrasies of the Internet phenomenon and why one might want to reconsider playing the cancel card. Take a listen as he shares with me his argument. In your book, you challenge the idea of cancel culture and believe it is actually counterproductive and destructive of the values that cancelers claim to support. So, I mean, from your research, what variables support this point of view?
3: Well, first of all, the book was inspired by a real event that happened here in Pittsburgh, a uh, lifetime peace activist who founded the Thomas Merton Center a Peace and Justice Group uh, 50 years ago. She was canceled over one meme. That she posted on Facebook. It was a picture, had a picture of Martin Luther King, and it said, never looted, never rioted, changed the world. Some folks found that offensive, especially mm-hmm. this came out during the George Floyd protest. And uh, so she was attacked on Facebook. She ended up taking it down pretty quickly and apologizing, but that wasn't enough. Ultimately, the Thomas Merton Center that she helped to found put out a public letter saying they, they could no longer work with her anymore, and they were formally disassociating from her. Not only did this cancel her, I mean, and cancel a lifetime of work, including, by the way, anti-racist work. And you see this more and more where someone is judged for one snapshot of their life,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, with very unfair consequences. And, and, and in the end, I think it's self-destructive. Again, in this case, I think it's obviously so.
1: So a common critique of cancel culture is that it infringes on one's First Amendment right of free speech. Um, Do you agree with that critique?
3: Well, it certainly can. I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I'm careful to, you know, the First Amendment only applies if it's government action. Right. So in this case, for example, it was not government action and usually it's not. Usually it's private actors that are doing the canceling. So technically speaking, it would not violate a First Amendment right. But what it does do is in practicality, it does chill speech. And that is troubling because I think when you deal with issues like race and gender and other issues like climate change and and the pandemic, you know, we are confronted with a huge social issues uh, Mm -hmm. that we have to be able to, to, to debate about. And what I think cancel culture does is prevent that.
1: Well, on on the flip side of that, um, you know, people who would be in support of cancel culture say they actually are speaking out about how they feel about a particular issue. Say it is a, you know, celebrity that goes on a stage and says something homophobic or or something racist. And they're like, I'm not listening to you anymore. You're canceled. And that's a personal decision for that person in the moment. Sure, they share it on social media, but Is it the individual's responsibility for something that snowballs? Because everyone kind of feels the same way in the moment.
3: Well, I mean, that's a good point. And I I, I do think there are cases where the so-called cancel culture results in, in, in positive change. A great example is the Me Too movement with Harvey Weinstein. But then on the other hand, you have the case of former Senator Al Franken, where the allegations were much we're not nearly as severe, nothing about mm-hmm, assault, mm-hmm, et mm-hmm. the point being different cases have to be treated differently. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what is happening is those cases are not being treated differently. There is no discernment over whether someone is a Harvey Weinstein or an Al Franken. And and that's what concerns me. I agree with you. As a consumer, you can say, I don't want to listen to this comedian anymore. I don't want to listen to this singer anymore. And again, there's probably instances in which people cross a certain line that, you know, makes them legitimately vulnerable to, to, to cancellation. But what I'm concerned about, first of all, is not so much the cancellation of celebrities. What I'm more worried about is the average everyday person who can lose a job with no due process because people on Twitter say he or she should be fired. And again, there are times in extreme cases if an employee is violent or, or harassing other people, yeah, hey, they should be disciplined and possibly discharged. But when people make honest expressions of opinions, to call that person out and call for them to be fired again without due process, because most workers don't have due process, right? If you don't have a union with a just cause, to me that is not progressive. Well,
1: well, well, let's well let's go to the argument that nothing is really happening when you're dealing with people in a power situation. I know, I know, you said you didn't want to talk about um, the celebrity dynamic too much, but that is where we're seeing it on a huge scale. Like most of these people, you know, don't don't Al Franken, still very wealthy man. Like he's like what has actually been lost?
3: Well, certainly with an Al Franken, everyone lost as far as I'm concerned. We lost one of the most progressive senators in the Senate. It's not merely impacting him, it's impacting others. And I agree there's probably a lot of celebrities where that's not true, where not much has been lost. At the same time, they are human beings and what troubles me is the assumption is almost that everyone is perfect. And if you're not perfect, you should be canceled. Of course, none of us are. And there's a certain lack of humility in all this.
1: So what would you tell? What would you tell a canceled person. Um, You you, you brought up your first example out of Pittsburgh, and you said that um, the woman apologized, but it wasn't enough. But what have you seen work for someone who's been canceled? And what have you seen really not work?
3: The truth is, I don't see much that works. And and what I do see is when you apologize, it often brings on more scorn. That is to say, apologizing doesn't help. It tends to make things worse because, of course, it's an admission of guilt that you did something wrong to begin with and people could kind of seize on that. So I think the only thing that I see working is if others stand up for that person. And I think part of cancel culture depends on the silence of bystanders, right, who aren't moving to cancel someone, but who also aren't speaking up for someone that they think is being wrongfully canceled. I mean, I think in the end, if things have to be judged on their own merits, things have to be distinguished, you know, on the basis of intention. And it's always clear that intention doesn't matter. In fact, the letter the Thomas Merton Center Board put out said, you know, regardless of her intention, because that doesn't matter, we're going to disassociate from her. I think intention does matter. I think the racism of a Ku Klux Klanman is different than the alleged racism of someone who misspeaks. They're not the same thing. And I just think I'm not calling for government action to deal with this. Mm -hmm. I'm calling for people who are progressive. And you have a colleague, a comrade, a friend who does something with good intentions, but does it wrong or, or misspeaks in a way that may offend people. The first instinct should not be to cancel them. In the case of Molly and many others, a simple phone call would have probably done it right. And I just think that that if you're going to be a progressive person, if you're going to be a social justice activist, you should be motivated by compassion and, and, and have an ounce of forgiveness for people just like you would want to be forgiven. I mean, I guess I sound more like a, <laughs> someone preaching the gospel, but I, you know, I, I think there's some lessons to be learned.
0: That was Janine Rubenstein with cancel culture experts, Shamira Ibrahim and Daniel Kavalik. For more on this topic, head over to people.com. And now something to make you smile. Or gag, depending on how you feel about pumpkin spice.
3: Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the Everyone.
0: Yep. As of today, you can order a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks nationwide. The coffee giant once again announced an early return of the fall favorite, which combines espresso and milk with a blend of cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, and, of course, pumpkin. The drink that's been dividing a nation since 2003, when Starbucks debuted the beverage. Team PSL says it's a big reason to smile. Pumpkin is not- Team anti-PSL says not so much. It's like really watered down. Like my last relationship. Pumpkin spice latte belongs in the garbage. I say it's 92 degrees in New York City, so I'm going
3: out for a plain old iced coffee. Have a great one, everybody.